0: uh, through some Bible reading and prayer and, and conversations with uh, colleagues, the Holy Spirit began to impress upon my heart that I didn't really know what the gospel was. I thought, well, <laughs> I don't know what to think about that, Lord. Uh, I had a, a minor in Bible and theology and, and worked toward a master of divinity at seminary, and how could I not know what the gospel is? But as soon as I had that question in my heart, flip it around to, to say, well, Lord, teach me. Show me what the gospel is. Help me better understand what you came to do and what we're invited to. And, and so I continued in Bible reading and scripture and study and, and prayer. And what I understood is what I had really grown up in and promoted was a salvation culture and not a gospel culture. And those two things are different, whether we realize it or not. And so a salvation culture would, would be more akin to understanding we're trying to lead people to the place of making a decision from, from unsaved to saved, and it's kind of the question of whether you're in or you're out, and, and maybe we'd lead somebody in something called like the sinner's prayer, and that's kind of a salvation culture, and, and although the salvation is part of the gospel, it's not the whole gospel, and there's so much more than that. So as I began to really explore what is the gospel, what the Lord began to show me is if we don't encourage and promote a gospel culture, then it's really hard to move decision makers, those who've made decisions, to move from unsaved to saved into disciple makers. Because if all we promote is salvation, then really all we're going after is, I need to be saved so I can go to heaven one day. But then there's really nothing more than that. I've just made that decision, and so I can just kind of wait for the day that one day I leave this place and go to the next. But there's so much more than that. The gospel culture would help us understand that there Is a story that we are invited to live in. It's God's story, and it's so much better than just trying to live in our own story. And so what I want to do this morning as part of our series on a great awakening is understand that we need to, and the Lord is helping the church, awaken to the gospel. And so I want to help point out in Scripture today where we can find that and to help us better understand what is the story we're invited to live in. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. I hope you've got God's Word with you today. If you're new to Connection Point, we say that. Simply as a weekly reminder, we want you in God's word, not just on a Sunday, but every day. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one underneath the chair in front of you. Welcome to use that as we cover some passages today. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Just to highlight, these are God's words to us, and so we don't take that for granted. And what we're going to do is we finish Luke, but I'm going to go back to Luke. Luke chapter 24, we'll finish it again. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, and I'm going to jump to 30 to 32, but hopefully these verses are somewhat familiar to you. But what I want to show you in this passage, why this matters so much to me, is because we need to know the gospel that Jesus preached, because it should be the gospel that we share. And I want to show you a passage where Jesus shares the gospel and the results of that, because I hope my prayer is this morning, the results of this passage is the results in every one of our hearts today as we hear the gospel anew. So reading in verse 25, then Jesus said to them, so this is after the resurrection, Jesus is walking on a road to Emmaus with some travelers. He says, you foolish people. I read that passage this week and I thought, you know, I love Jesus. Like he just calls it out, you know. It doesn't work in our culture, but Jesus was good for that. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. So from Genesis to Malachi, and what I want to help you understand this morning is: we look at the gospel, we have to look from Genesis to Revelation to understand the gospel encompasses creation all the way to the second coming of Christ, the consummation of the kingdom of God. It's a big thing, the gospel. And he says he explained these things, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, because Jesus is the gospel. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? As he talked with us on the road and explained the gospel to us. This is my prayer this morning. As you hear the gospel, may the Lord set your heart on fire in ways that hasn't happened before. I invite you to be seated this morning. So we we kicked off this series talking about the opportunity we have to awaken to a new beginning, that the Lord is, is bringing about a new beginning in the church, one of reproduction, multiplication, that although the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, His methods change. We'll see that as we go from Genesis to Revelation. And so we want to be careful that we don't marry ourselves to methods, but we understand we are after your heart, God, and we want to be a part of the work that you're doing. More than we want you to bless what we're doing, Jesus, we want to enter into the work that you're doing, knowing your way is always better. And then we talked about after we entered into a new beginning of one of awakening to healing, that Jesus came to bring healing, to bring wholeness to our lives, and we'll talk about that this morning as part of this message. And so we should enter into that place of of healing and wholeness. And part of that then is, is being cured of the family and culture in which we lived in to understand God's ways are higher, they're better, they're different. That the kingdom of God is not the same as a kingdom of man, and so then we need to live in that kingdom differently. And as we do that, as we begin to reorient around living and learning how to live in the family of Jesus and as good citizens of his kingdom, well, we also want to become steadfast. In Ephesians 4 last week, we talked about awakening to spiritual gifts because everyone has been given a gift by Jesus. You have a special gift that you are meant to use in the context of the local church. And it's as we all activate and begin to use those gifts that the promise is, is we're no longer then tossed to and fro, but instead we become steadfast, no longer shaken, no longer believing lies that sound like truth. That's really important as we receive healing and wholeness that we also become steadfast and no longer return that way. But as we get into the passage this morning and in the message today, what we find is we enter into a new beginning, one of multiplication And we enter into that through healing and wholeness so that we can activate our spiritual gifts, but we do all that so we can be good news carriers of the kingdom. That we're invited to live in the story of God, and living in His story is so much better than creating our own stories. His way is better, and the question is, are we going to be willing to live in it? So what I want to do this morning, uh, it's no small task, but I have to explain the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. So I hope you had your coffee this morning, because it takes a little bit to unpack, but today's message, it's actually a bit of a teaching and preaching. I need us to understand the gospel before I can then begin to make some application points to our lives today, and what I really believe God wants to do in all of us today. And I believe he wants to do an extraordinary work, but we first need to understand what that work is, and the story that we're invited to, and that it is better than any story we can create on our own. So starting this morning, we see that living in God's story is better than living outside of it because God is our creator. He's our creator. The first book of the Bible called Genesis, we find that God creates the heavens and the earth. He created everything, including the first people, and he put them in a garden paradise. Here's what we find in in Genesis chapter 1. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. The very first command of God is to do exactly what he wants Is a new beginning of the church, one of multiplying, to be fruitful and multiply. That's why I said the new beginning, it might be new to us, but it was never new to God. It's his original intent for us. Fill the earth and govern it, he said. "Reign over the fish in the sea. The birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And this is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made. He saw that it was very good. God creates good things. God made Adam and Eve in his image and likeness, and he gave them one simple task, to govern the world on God's behalf. That was the task. But Adam and Eve, they thought better, and they usurped God's prerogative. Here's what we find in Genesis chapter 3, that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. In this act, Adam and Eve, they usurped the rule of God in this world, and instead of listening to the good word of God, they listened to the serpent and to themselves and ruined their opportunity to govern as God's co-governors in Eden. For one dark moment, the human representatives of God acted the part of God. So God banished them from Eden and cast them into the world as we now know it instead of fulfilling our created role, we forfeited our opportunity to live in the good world God created for us. We as humans chose to live in our own story, thinking we could be our own gods, and evil entered the world. We gave over our co-governorship to the accuser, to Satan, and God would have to find another way for his likeness to co-govern the world. So living in God's story, it's better than living outside of it because God is our creator and he created a good world that we tainted due to our disobedience. As we continue in that gospel story, we see that living in God's story is better than living outside of it because God makes covenants. God makes covenants and this is a good thing. You know, sadly, what we find as we continue to read through the book of Genesis and beyond is all the descendants of Adam and Eve have proven this pattern. We're all usurpers. We all want to rule, not under God, as God's undergovernors, but as gods and goddesses ourselves. This is the very definition of secularism, where we are our own gods. I want you to think about that. This problem we have today, it's an age-old problem. It's the original sin. Secularism really is not new. It started in the Garden of Eden. It's with us still. Now still, God uh, gave Adam and Eve's descendants the opportunity, the right to Uh, continue to rule in some capacities, but they cascaded into a nightmare of rebellions that all but ruined their opportunity to govern on God's behalf. But what we see is God is gracious, just as he gave Adam and Eve a new opportunity after their failure in Eden, so God gave all the descendants more opportunities. But rebellion was the name of the descendants game, and with their building of the Tower of Babel, which took Adam and Eve's attempted takeover to a new level God chose another way of establishing his rule on earth. How did he intend to do it? God chose a man named Abraham. God created a covenant between himself and Abraham. A covenant that was to be eternal and redemptive. I want you to hear this covenant from Genesis chapter 15. So then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. I don't know if anyone's ever explained what this covenant is referring to. But what happens here is God enters into time and space and he works within the cultural understandings we have so that we can understand God in finite forms. And so what God is doing is he's actually asking Abram to make a covenant that Abram would understand in his day, where there would be this great king and a lesser king that would make a covenant together. And what they were going to do is they would walk through these animal halves that they had split open, and they would walk through to say that, I'm going to be true to this covenant, O kings, as they would agree with each other, and if I am not true to this covenant, you can do to me what we have done to these animals and kill me. And this is exactly why, as Abraham is splitting these animals, and he knows he's about to make this covenant with God, he, he sees the promises are good, but what he also knows is he's flawed. That whatever covenant he makes with God, there's no way that he can meet those expectations. So he knows he's going to wind up dead. And so that's why this terrible darkness comes over Abram. But then what do we see? Abram, he wakes up, and he sees a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch going down the middle of those dead animals. Because God knew Abraham was not going to be able to fulfill that covenant. So, who do we think that smoking fire pot and that blazing torch is? But God the Father and said, Son, walk with me. That we will take this covenant upon ourselves and make it to be true. That he knew one day that flaming torch would be sacrificed instead of Abraham and all of us to fulfill the covenant that God had made. God makes good Covenants, and he knows that if we can't make them, he'll stand in our stead. This covenant that God makes is passed from Abraham to his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, who God renames Israel. The descendants of Jacob would become the people of Israel, the people whom God meant for the whole world to be blessed. God gave Israel the task of governing, God promised to be with Israel as the one who was for Israel. And what God did was to transfer the governing assignment given to Adam and Eve to now Abraham and Israel. As the original likenesses of God were to govern this world on God's behalf, so now Abraham and Israel were to bless the nations. And they did this well at times, and at other times they acted like usurpers and chose to do things their own way. As God's chosen people, God was with them when they were slaves in Egypt, and God was for them, so he liberated them from Egypt through the hand of Moses. God wanted them to live properly as a kingdom of priests, so he gave them the Torah and renewed the covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. This Torah was to govern them in the land of Israel, and if they were allowed to govern them, they would flourish and they would be able to bless the nations. But they did not do well because they didn't let the good Torah of God govern them. This second arrangement wasn't working either. When Israel asked for a king like other nations, God at first was unwilling but eventually gave what the usurpers wanted— a human king. In his own mysterious grace, though, God choose to use this kingly wish, and he made one of their kings, David, the sort of king God wanted for them. This was the third form of governing on God's behalf. But David was a descendant of Adam and Eve, so he too became a usurper and messed up the kingly reign. He passed the throne on to someone who messed up even more, Solomon. One king after another, some of them good, some of them bad, governed God's people, Israel and Judah. But each of them proved to be a usurper too. So God sent prophets to them to warn them that there was only one governor, one true king, one and only one God, and his name was Yahweh. Sometimes God had to discipline Israel to get the people's attention. Sometimes his discipline worked like the exile to Babylon. It led to nothing less than a spiritual revival among those who returned to the land, but that revival wore off too, because they were all usurpers. Perhaps they knew they were to govern not only the promised land, but also the world. But they struggled so much to govern the land that they never even entertained, except in brief poetic moments in prophets like Isaiah, governing the world on God's behalf. Within a few centuries, Israel had seemingly forgotten the assignment God had given to Adam and Eve, the assignment that they were to be a priestly kingdom designed to bless the world. God would fulfill his covenant with Abraham through the flaming torch that walked through the dead animals all those years before. God would fulfill his covenant based on his resources and his goodness now. God's covenants are good because he loves his creation. That's why living in God's story is better than living outside of it because of those good covenants. And we'll also find that living in God's story, it's better than living outside of it because Jesus is a good king. Jesus is a wonderful king. After years of deafening silence, God moved into the final plan and suddenly broke into history with someone who was both descendant and non-descendant, someone who would rule rightly and not as a usurper. God sent to Israel Jesus through Mary and Joseph. And God told Mary through an angel that her son Jesus would someday rule on God's behalf as Messiah. But even though Jesus did exactly what God had told him to do, neither Israel nor the Gentiles around Israel accepted him as Messiah. This theme consistently reveals that we are all usurpers and we don't want someone telling us what's best for us. We seem to be incurable usurpers. Though Jesus was a man known to do good everywhere he went and though he healed and rescued people from all sorts of problems, though he brought people to the table who were forgiven and saved and healed and made new again and turned from usurpers to lovers, the descendants, both Roman and Jewish, decided they'd be better off putting him to death. They feared he'd deconstruct their attempted overthrows, so they killed him in the most despicable of manners by crucifying him naked on a cross outside Jerusalem on Golgotha. The usurpers were in control, and the descendants had descended to their lowest. What the usurpers and descendants didn't know was that Jesus was actually entering into their takeovers and the death they deserved for their evil hearts. He was dying their death. He was shouldering their sins and the punishment due their sins. And he was absorbing the just wrath of God against all sin. What they didn't know is that God could reverse their rebellion and reverse their death and he could start all over again. What they didn't know is that this way of dying as a servant was to become the only true way of living and making peace in this world. What they didn't know was that the cross was the crown and that power only comes when surrendered. No one understood this. Not even Jesus' closest followers. What the usurpers didn't know was that they had met their match in King Jesus who was about to usher in an alternative kingdom. He was going to start the world all over again. God. The God who graciously gave Adam and Eve another chance and the God who rescued Israel from the clutches of Egypt and the God who whistled for the Israelites to return from Babylon, that same God Yahweh, the father of Jesus Christ, he erupted the normal categories of history one more time. He raised Jesus back to life to end the dominion of death, to prove that the usurpers would not have the last word and to show that the descendants could have a whole new lineage To make this all together clear, Jesus appeared to hosts of the descendants, and then he was taken up into the presence of God. And what this story shows us is that what usurpers fear the most is the godness of God. Paradoxically, what usurpers most want is the godness of God. And Jesus was that God. And that's why Jesus as Messiah and the Lord is the gospel. We finally had the king that this earth needed. He was exalted to reign over the earth, over both Jews as Messiah and Gentiles as Lord. And he summoned all people to accept his forgiving, kingly, kindly, peaceful, gracious, transforming rule. If people would but turn to him, they'd be forgiven and their rebellion would be forgotten forever. The blessing Abraham's descendants were supposed to be to the world was fulfilled in Jesus. God had told Abraham, Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You see, we are blessed by living in God's story where Jesus is enthroned as king, defeating sin, death, and the devil, once again making us co governors in the world. It's as his co governors we can live victoriously in life, not as a slave to sin, but now with the ability to live free and in right relationship with God and others as people of the Spirit. Living in God's story. It's better than living outside of it because Jesus is a good king who transforms us through his loving rule. And living in that story, in God's story, it's better than living outside of it because life purpose is found in church community. Life purpose is found in church community. So to create this new society, the kingdom society, the church society, Jesus sent his people, the Holy Spirit, to empower them and transform them from usurpers into servants of God's love, peace, justice, and holiness. This was the alternative politics and the right way to govern the world on God's behalf, by loving others with everything that we've got. And this same God chose to do things all over again with his new creation people. He chose to give them a second chance, which is one way of talking about the magnificent theme of God's grace. These people were instructed by Jesus to pray for his kingdom to come, in ever-increasing measure for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven— What a wonderful opportunity we have to pray such things. He chose to let us be people of the kingdom, called the church. And he summoned us to believe in Jesus, to turn from our disobedience, and to so identify with Jesus that we would enter into his death and into his resurrection and through that find new life. As we learn to live in the family of Jesus and become good citizens in his kingdom, we will experience the peace of God in our lives. That's the promise, because Jesus is the true king. The true Messiah, the true likeness, the true Lord. God's given to Jesus' people the assignment he had given to Adam and Eve. We are the likeness of God like Adam and Eve, but with a major difference. We have the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that difference? So we no longer have to be usurpers. We have the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit can transform us into the visible likeness of Jesus himself so that we can fulfill the words of Paul where he writes. He says, "'Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus.'" We can do that because of the Holy Spirit. Adam and Eve could not. As Christ-like images, we are assigned to rule on God's behalf in this world. We do this by listening to this story, by living out this story as our story, and by spreading the good news of this story. We now rule in an imperfect world, in an imperfect way, as imperfect images. But we live with God-given purpose within God's story as his creation and his kingdom people. We live life on a solid foundation, not being tossed about by life, but instead we're sturdy and full of purpose with peace and joy as God's good news carriers in his kingdom. Living in God's story, it's so much better than living outside of it because life purpose is found in church community as God's co-governors in the world. And living inside God's story It's better than living outside of it because Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Someday the perfect likeness of God, he's going to come back and he will rescue his imperfect images and set them up one more time in this world. This time though, it will be right because Jesus will be the temple and the garden will become the eternal city and it will be filled with peace, love, joy, and holiness. All rebellions will end. And everyone will serve Jesus in the power of the Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Humans will govern on God's behalf in the way of Jesus forever. Here's what we find in the book of Revelation. John, a disciple of Jesus, he has this vision from the Lord where he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Don't fall in love with this earth because it's going to pass away. The Lord is bringing something new. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. What a promise. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. All who are victorious, all who live inside God's story, that's what victory is, will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The reward for those who live in God's story. So that's what a victorious life is. Those who live in God's story is an eternity with no more sorrow and pain. God's kingdom people will be complete. They as God's children. But to live outside of this story, to live in our own stories, where we are our own gods, is to experience a second death, one of eternal suffering, away from the very presence of God. I tell you this morning, truly, truly, it is better to live in God's story than outside of it. If you've committed your life to Jesus, if you know he died and rose again, then you are a good news carrier in the kingdom of God. The gospel is so much more than Jesus coming for the forgiveness of our sins so that one day we don't go to hell. The gospel is the good news that God's kingdom broke into the world with Jesus. His kingdom is where he rules and reigns, where Satan is defeated. Wherever Satan's rule still exists in our world today, we bear the responsibility to bring the rule and reign of God into that realm. That's the gospel. You're saved unto something. We go announcing that Jesus has come and defeated sin, death, and the devil. This is the gospel. That Jesus broke into the world so that we can be set free from the effects of evil in our lives. We can experience peace and joy and know that the very spirit of Jesus is at work in us. What I want to do today is close and show you a video that captures what I've shared with you this morning so we can understand what The gospel is, and then I want to share what are those implications for us this morning. How do we live the gospel? Let's share that video. So it explains a bit of where that word comes from. But in terms of the the actual Greek word "euangelion" that they refer to here, which is what we translate as gospel, the New Testament's written in Greek. It was actually a Greek military term. That the idea was that when a king or ruler took over a certain land or a town or a place, that the king or ruler would send the evangelist out to that space into that area and make the announcement, the euangelion, that the gospel, as we would say, that there's a new king, a new ruler. And for the Greek military, be like, okay, now Alexander the Great is now your king or Julius Caesar is your king. That's where that term actually meant from. And so then what happens is Jesus and the disciples, they pick up on this term and they use the word gospel to make this announcement that wherever there is darkness, wherever there's injustice, wherever there's pain, wherever there's captivity, we're coming into that environment. We're coming into that territory. We're coming into that person's life and we're declaring an announcement, there's a new king, a new ruler. And this is good news for you because you can be freed with Jesus. That's the gospel. They enter in with that message of understanding a new king has come and he's a good king. Different than Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar, this king serves, that he sacrifices himself so that you can be freed. What a wonderful gospel message we have, that you're no longer in captivity. We find in Luke 4, Jesus says, I came to set the captives free, those bound by evil. So how does that apply to us today? It's very simple. What are you struggling with today? What are you struggling with? Because the good news is Jesus came. He conquered sin, death, and the devil, and he wants to set us all free to make us all whole. And how much better could your life be if you fully embrace that gospel message today? How much freer could you live if you truly dedicated your life to Jesus? Because that's what's required. You must surrender your life to Jesus to enter into God's story so that Jesus can take over and remove those things from your life which have kept you in captivity. So I was wrapping up this message on Friday. the, The image the Lord gave me is so often we come on a Sunday and instead of coming to seek the freedom that Jesus offers... You know, we set up and talked about, we, we enter and gather because we set up guaranteed places of encounter with the Lord so that he can liberate us. But instead of pushing into that place, instead we just come to sing a few songs to get a band-aid put on the challenges in our life and we go out, only to come back and get a new band-aid the next week. You are not meant to get band-aids at the church. You are meant to be set free in Jesus' name from anything that would hold you back in life. So what I ask the Lord this morning is, number one, set hearts on fire with this gospel message. But number two... What I know is, you can't be a good news carrier unless you have first experienced the good news yourself. So here's what I was at. We had a a prayer time on Friday evening, 6.30 to 10.30, and and Deanne, as she opened the first prayer time in Greater uh, Lafayette, she shared from uh, uh, Matthew chapter 9, and in verse 35 it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's what you just heard today. This is the gospel of the kingdom, and here's what it says, healing every disease and every affliction, and I said, you know what, Lord, I want you to do that today. Let's be so audacious to say heal every disease and every affliction, because as you then have good news to share, because you have neighbors and co-workers who are bound in captivity, and they need to have an example of someone who's been set free so you can say, hey! Hey! I was there, but I'm no longer, because Jesus set me free and you can be too. That's the gospel. So I wanna invite you to stand this morning. We're gonna close with a couple of response times. And really what I want in response, and this is for believers and unbelievers, that you experience the gospel today. Because I am convinced as you experience the gospel, as you experience freedom, you can't help but not share. That somebody's gonna come into your life that says, I'm struggling with fear. I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety that I'm dealing with depression, that I've got life controlling issues, and you can say, and I was there, but I'm no longer because Jesus, the good news is Jesus came and he came to set us free. No longer do I need to be held captive anymore. So the invitation this morning is this, where do you find yourself today? Are you struggling with fear? I'll tell you what, that's a big one in our country today. We've put our confidence in the wrong things, and so now we're fearful. So today you need to put your confidence in the right thing, the good news that Jesus came. And his promises are true because he's a good king. Do you find yourself struggling with anxiety? Are you in a place of depression? Are you dealing with life controlling issues? Today, my prayer is, what, our prayer, what I was praying Friday is, Jesus, just bring the gospel. Help people experience the gospel so they live in your story today. So with every head bowed in this room, I want you to be able to respond and to know that I'm gonna pray for you, but we wanna enter into a place where Jesus sets you free today. So if that's you today, you'd say, I'm struggling with these things, but I don't wanna struggle anymore. I want to enter into the gospel today. I want to experience the gospel today, the good news that Jesus came to set me free. I just invite you to raise your hand. Are you struggling with fear? Say, man, that's me, I'm struggling with fear. Are you struggling with anxiety? Man, that's me, I need to be set free from anxiety. Are you struggling with life controlling issues? Gosh, I've got some things that I've got to be set free from. I'm struggling with depression, I I need freedom. Who here today would say that's me? Several hands up all across this room, anybody else? You cannot be set free from it if you will not recognize it. If you will not admit to say, I'm struggling with these things. That's what confession is. That's what repentance is. I need to change my mind. I need Jesus to come in and set me free. Jesus, I pray for all those that raise their hand and for those that respond as we close in song. I pray, Jesus, your gospel come. The good news of freedom today that would be found so that we can be liberated I pray against fear, anxiety, depression, and life-controlling issues today. I pray, Jesus, this audacious prayer that you would heal every sickness. Jesus, heal every affliction. That the gospel of the kingdom might go forth. And Jesus, we pledge to you as we receive that freedom that we will share it so we can see your kingdom continue to advance in greater Lafayette area and around the world. Jesus set people free right now in Jesus name right now in Jesus name as we close in song I would invite you don't hold back from the Lord and what he wants to do in your life somebody had shared while I was uh, a word with Shelly as as wrapping up the message from Matthew 23 verses 37 through 39 it says oh Jerusalem Jerusalem Jesus is descending he's in his passion week. This is a city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see it again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of you need to come and confess, blessed are you Lord. And I don't want to live a desolate life. I want to live an abundant life in your kingdom, embracing your good news that you've come to set me free today. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I would encourage you, come down. We've got leaders that are ready to come just behind you and pray with you, believing for freedom and release in your life. So as we close in song and sing about the freedom that we're offered in Jesus in his name, I want you to experience today. Don't walk out of here in captivity. Walk out of here free. That's what the gospel is. It's about freedom. So I encourage you, step out from where you're at as we close in song. Fill this place as a place of prayer and will come. Shelly and I will come and pray with you and other church leaders too. Let's sing and let's pray.